I will ask you to take your Bibles and open to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3. So we've already acknowledged we are in the week between Christmas and New Year's, which means it is time to start thinking about what is to come. What is ahead of us in the new year? I'm sure you all have things you hope for, maybe things you expect in 2021. But at the same time, I think something we've learned this year is that we have to hold our hopes and our expectations a little loosely. We recognize maybe today more than we did this Sunday last year that we don't know what's ahead of us. We don't know what the next year will hold. For you as an individual, for you as families, for us as a church, we don't know what's ahead. I never imagined that this year I would spend several months preaching to a camera or that even today so many of our congregation will be joining us from a distance. And we don't know what the next year will hold. But this morning, what I want us to consider from God's word is that while we don't know what's coming, we can know how we should pray. I'm sure you have prayer requests for the year. And my goal this morning isn't to encourage you to throw away your list. You probably have requests for good things, for health, for provision, help in financial struggles, healing in relationships, things that we should be praying for. But there's something that we all need that I hope would be on our list for all of us as we enter a new year. The reality is that whether the year brings health or sickness, employment or unemployment, abundance or lack, we should all desire that we would have hearts that are strong in the Lord. That we would have faith that he is the one whom we can trust. And so this morning I want us to consider what does it look like to pray towards that end? to recognize that there's nothing more important than our souls. You maintaining your job through the next 12 months is not more important than this. You maintaining your health through the next 12 months is not more important than this. You maintaining your life through the next 12 months is not more important than this. Your soul. Where are you in relation to God? And how do we pray for one another? If these things are as important as we say, how are we praying for one another? What do we desire for each other? What do we desire for our kids? What do we desire for our neighbors? How should we be praying for one another's souls? Our text this morning is Ephesians 3. We're going to look at verses 14 to 21, a passage that you're probably familiar with. It's a passage where we get to listen as Paul expresses his desires, and his prayers for the believers in the city of Ephesus. The truth is, this is just one of many examples in the New Testament of what it looks like to pray for spiritual strength, to pray for spiritual maturity. If you read through the letters of Paul, you see these kind of prayers a lot, don't you? These prayers that brothers and sisters will be strengthened in the Lord. We see that his primary focus isn't on circumstances or on situations, but on spiritual strength. And although we see so many examples of these prayers, 
I wonder how often you admit that you're slow to pray this way. Because what goes at the top of the list are the things that we see. Most of our prayers tend to be for physical strength, for physical provision, for physical blessing. Appropriate prayers, but they stop short. They neglect the greatest need that everyone has. And that's for us to have hearts that are full of Christ and growing in him. And I have no doubt about this. If we were to go around the room, just have a conversation, I have no doubt that you express that your desire for your kids is that they would love Jesus. And that above all, you desire that your spouse would love Jesus. And that your desire for those in the church, we know the good, right answer. I desire for my brothers and sisters to know and love Jesus above all. But is that what dominates our prayers? Do we go to him asking God to give our brothers and sisters, our kids, our spouse, more of Jesus? This is the way we should pray. That's one thing I love about this example from Paul, but something else I love about it is that not only does he give us an example that we should pray for the spiritual strength of our brothers and sisters, but he also affirms this in a really incredible way that God is able to answer these prayers. This prayer is jam-packed with reminders that the God to whom we pray is able to give us strength. He's able to give us strength in our souls. It's a great prayer. Like I said, a prayer you're familiar with, but we're just going to spend our time this morning walking through this prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. So Ephesians chapter 3, we'll read from verses 14 to 21. Hear the word of God. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May God add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word. Now, as we listen to that prayer, I wonder if you notice the emotion. It's there. I think of it every time I come to this passage, the passion and the love that Paul has for this church. He's zealous for the hearts of the Ephesians. He has a deep desire for them to be spiritually strengthened and built up in the faith. He loves them. I think it's a main theme. And then alongside that, we also see as we read this prayer, Paul's overwhelming confidence in the God who's able. We see his love for his brothers and sisters. His desire that they would be mature in Christ. 
And then his confidence in God, that God is able to bring them to that point. This is my heart for us as we go into the new year. My, My heart for you is that at this time next year, you would be more strengthened in the Lord. That you would be more confident in him. That your hope would be more fixed on him. That you would be more content in him. That your life would be marked by more joy in him and peace in him. I also hope that we believe without a doubt that God can accomplish these things in us and in others. That's the big picture. As we come to the prayer, I think it can be divided three way, into three parts. In verses 14 and 15, we see the position of Paul's prayer. Notice the alliteration. I worked hard on this. Don't. Don't ignore it, okay? The position of Paul's prayer, how he prayed. The petitions of Paul's prayer, what he prayed for. And the powerful hope of Paul's prayer, his expectations. So first we consider the position of Paul's prayer. The way he approaches his prayer. Maybe you recognize as we read that Paul's prayer isn't a casual prayer. No, it's intentional, it's passionate. We see that even in the posture of his prayer. For this reason, verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Now, I think we can all agree that there are some prayers that are more intentional, more passionate than others. In fact, I would say if we are praying the way God has called us to pray, then many of our prayers will be somewhat casual in their posture. We, we read in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing, which means that we will be praying as we walk and praying as we work and praying as we drive. There's a lot to be said for these small, quick prayers in the small corners of life. But that's not the kind of prayer we have here, is it? What we see here is a passion and intentional prayer, and we see that even in the posture of Paul. For this reason, I, I bow my knees. Let me be clear. I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong way to pray. God doesn't tell us that there's one way to pray that's more holy than another. But I do think it's significant the posture that Paul takes, which emphasizes the, the passion for this particular prayer. It's intentionality. He's about to express his heartfelt desires for his brothers and sisters. He stops. He takes a position. He kneels before God in order to make this request. Not the central point of the text, but worth considering. How often are you so serious about your prayer for another person that you take this type of position? on your knees, or maybe just sitting down and taking the time? When was the last time you were so serious about your request that you got on your knees to pray for your kids, to pray for your neighbors, to pray for your church family? Like I said, the position's not what God instructs us on, but there is something to be said for this intentional prayer. 
We should want to be people of intentional prayer, which means we need to find time and find ways to humble ourselves before God. What we see is that Paul is on his knees. It shows intention and purpose, but it also shows humility before the one to whom he bows. Did you notice what Paul says about the one he's praying to? How he acknowledges God? He says two things about him in verses 14 and 15. He acknowledges his sovereignty and also his fatherhood. Two attributes of God, completely true, but that hone us in on different aspects of who God is. Look at it again. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Let's look at that second phrase first. It, it points us to the sovereignty of God. God is the one from whom every family, no exceptions, the one from every family in heaven and on earth is named. It emphasizes the sovereign rule of God over all people that everyone finds their source in him and he is over them all. It doesn't mean that everyone is God's children in the sense that we are as those who have come to him through Christ. But what Paul is saying is that all people are under God. He is the supreme one. He is the sovereign one. Isn't that a cool reminder when we go to God in prayer? That the one to whom we pray is the one who's over all? Which means we're going to one who is able. We see in this prayer is that Paul is aware that God, the one to whom he's praying, is the sovereign one. The one with all authority. But then he also acknowledges him as father. It's a cool paradox. God is holy and mighty and powerful. He deserves our reverence and our humility. But at the same time, he calls himself our father and calls us his children. Which is to say that God that we pray to is mighty and sovereign, but also relatable. And loving. We think about Romans 8, verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The God of the universe, the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, the sovereign and supreme ruler is also the one who has called us his children. Remember the way Jesus talks about that father and child relationship in Matthew 7? Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the one we pray to, our loving Father, but the one who is also supreme and sovereign over all things. If you struggle to pray, maybe you need to spend some time considering the one to whom we have the privilege of praying. He loves you as a father, and he is a supreme and sovereign ruler. We have a loving 
father who wants to hear our prayers and not just a father who loves us, but one who has the ability to provide. Some of us are good loving fathers, but sometimes we feel like we lack the ability to provide the way we want to. Our God is both the loving father and the one who is able. In these two short verses, we see the intentional, passionate prayer of Paul. We see the one to whom we pray, the sovereign, almighty one, our Father. That's the introduction to the prayer, the position of Paul's prayer. And then we get to the the heart of the prayer, what he's asking God for. He has gone on his knees, acknowledged God as the sovereign Father. And then he presents his requests. At the heart of his request is the spiritual growth of his brothers and sisters. This is a hard passage to give structure to. And I tried it different ways. I read a lot. Just trying to consider. It's one long sentence. I think it's best broken up this way. Verses 16 and 17, we see two requests. And then in 17 and 19, we see the results of those requests. They're all requests but I do think the first two lead to the second two. Listen again, starting in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, and here's the request, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What's he praying for? we see first is that Paul's recognized that what's most important is not the physical, but the spiritual. He's asking God to make them spiritually strong. He's not praying for circumstances. He's praying for their hearts. It's something we see throughout the Bible, the emphasis on our souls. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our physical body is weak and dying, but our inner man is eternal and must be cared for. So Paul goes to God on behalf of his brothers and sisters and his request is that through God's power, they would be made strong. Now let's take a minute. Let's consider who who is he praying for? We've said he's praying for the Ephesian church. What's their situation? Is everything else taken care of? And so... All that's left to pray for is their spiritual health. We could go and read Acts chapter 19, where we're told that the city of Ephesus was experiencing riots because some of the more important men in the city felt threatened by the growing number of Christians. The Ephesians are living in a dangerous environment. And yet Paul's prayer is not for their safety amid the violence, at least not here. His prayer is for their inner man. I have no doubt he prayed for their safety, prayed for their protection, prayed for their well-being. But which prayer did God preserve? I think we, we naturally pray for those physical things, and we should. But the prayers that God has preserved over and over in Scripture are prayers for 
spiritual strength. That's what we see here. A prayer for inner strengthening, a prayer for the power of God to strengthen his people. Paul knew that the greatest need of the Ephesian church was not outer but inner. It's an appropriate thing for us to consider. And I, what, I, what I don't want to do is to give you a, a burden as you pray. There are things we should pray for outwardly. We should pray for physical healing. But we should not forget to pray for the inner strength of those who are enduring sickness. That they would have faith and trust and confidence in the God who's over all things. We should pray for employment. But we should also pray for the heart of those who are looking for work. That they would find hope in the God who provides, in the God who knows their needs, in the God who knew this situation before they did. We should pray for financial provision. We should also pray for the heart of those who are struggling, that God would grant them patience and endurance and contentment. We should pray for our kids, for their safety, for their success. But we must not overlook our prayer that God would draw them to himself, and that they would love him above all things. We must not overlook the soul. If we're careful, not careful, we could focus so much on the externals that we forget what's most important. We've thought a lot about a virus this year. We've prayed rightfully for protection. We must not forget the souls of those. We are separated and many are at home in an effort to, to be safe and to keep us all safe. And there's wisdom in that. But what I care for more for you, church, is not your physical safety. Well, I do care for that. My main concern is for your soul. And as I pray for you, I desire that God would give you strength in your inner man. I pray that he would keep you healthy. But I pray above all that you would be filled with all the fullness of God, as Paul prays here. The first request is that they would be strengthened in their inner man. And, and we see in the request, Paul's confidence in the God who can answer. He says this, he asked God to answer this prayer according to the riches of his glory. What does that mean? He doesn't pray that God would grant, answer the prayers out of the riches of his glory or even in proportion to the riches of his glory. How vast are the riches of the glory of God? Limitless. Paul's approaching God and asking him to provide strength and power in proportion to the abundance of the riches of his glory. He's asking God to lavish power, to lavish strength on his people. Not only is Paul showing that we should ask God for spiritual strength, but he's saying, ask in proportion to God's ability. Don't make them a little more mature. Don't give them a little more of Jesus. Give them all of it. That leads to the second request, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does that mean? 
What we know is that anyone who's repented and believed, we're told that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in us. We have the Spirit of God in us. So why is Paul asking that Christians would have Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith? Well, the key is in that word dwell, which isn't just a reference to the presence of God, but to the at-homeness of God and the reign of God in a person. There's a big difference between being a guest in someone's home and calling yourself at home, right? We live differently when we're a guest versus being in our own home. If you're a guest, you probably are careful not to overstep your bounds. There are some rooms where you go and other rooms that you stay away from. When you're a guest, you generally don't dig through the closets. Paul's prayer is that Christ would not simply be a guest, not simply be present, but that he would make himself fully at home, that he would be given full reign in their hearts, that Christ may dwell in your heart, to have full reign in your heart through faith. I wonder if there's places in our hearts that we are hesitant to give God full reign. Well, as Paul prays for his brothers and sisters, he says, may God dwell in your heart. May he have full access to every part of your room. Every room in your heart may be open to him. This is my prayer for you, that he would have it all, that he would reign in every area. As Paul prays for his brothers and sisters, he prays that they would be strengthened in their inner man, that God would have full reign and freedom in their hearts. And then he attaches to those two requests some results. Verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you would be filled with all the fullness of God. So we've seen the two requests. And that as we're strengthened in the inner man, and as Christ dwells in our heart through faith, what happens? We can be rooted and grounded in love. We can comprehend the love of God and be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's look at each one of those just briefly. A greater comprehension of the love of God. And he uses two words, rooted and grounded. It's an agricultural term and an architectural term. It's like plants and trees only survive if they have deep roots. Paul prays that the Ephesians would have roots in the love of Christ, that they would be nourished and strengthened through his love, rooted in the love of Christ, and then grounded in the love of Christ. Like a building is only stable if it has a firm foundation, Paul prays that the Ephesians would have the solid foundation of the love of Christ, They'd be rooted in his love and grounded by his love. It's not a prayer that they would love Christ more. Oh, that's a good prayer. That's not this prayer. This prayer is not that they would love Christ more, but they would understand how incredible God's love is for them. And that would be where they get their nourishment. And that would be where they get their strength. And that would be where they find their foundation. 
He describes the expansiveness of the love of God. I pray that they would be rooted in God's love, grounded on God's love. What does God's love look like? He describes the breadth and the length, how wide it is, how long it is, the height and the depth, how high it goes and how low it goes. The vastness and enormity of God's love. And this is what we are to find our roots in. I love the imagery of the song. We sing it together. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. Which means move on because you can't explain it, right? (laughs) You can't explain the love of God. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the oceans fill? If the skies were made of parchments, every stalk in every field was a quill, and every person a scribe by trade. This is your job. Here's the job. To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll of the sky contain the whole. It stretched from sky to sky. This is the love of God. And Paul's prayer for his brothers and sisters that they would be rooted in this and grounded in this. I wonder if there was times this year when you didn't sense the love of God because you were wearied by the year. Wearied by the circumstances, wearied by the situation. My prayer for you, and I hope your prayer for one another, is that we would be so confident in the love of God that we never question his presence. So confident in the love of God that we never question his goodness. So confident in the love of God that we know that whatever comes our way, we can trust him. Paul's desires for the Ephesians is that they'd be able to wrap their minds around the love of God. They'd be able to comprehend the love of God. And then he says something that seems like a contradiction. Verse 19, to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Oh, that they'd be able to comprehend it and to know it, though it surpasses knowledge. Face value, it seems like a contradiction, but Paul is praying that we'd be able to comprehend the love of God with our hearts, what we can't understand with our heads. The more we learn of the love of Christ, the more unbelievable it becomes. The more we try to comprehend a God who would humble himself, become a man, and die on behalf of rebellious people, the more we recognize this is something we cannot understand. But to whatever measure we can, It gives us confidence that he is trustworthy and that he is good and that he is kind. This is the prayer that Paul prays. Are you starting to sense what a significant prayer this is and how we should be praying this for one another? Oh, that we would want this for one another. We should desire that Brian would know the love of God and believe the love of God more in 2021 than he did in 2020, right? That Amber would sense the love of God more fully this year than she did in the last. 
Because in sensing and comprehending the love that surpasses knowledge, she can have more confidence in him. And this is the way we should pray for one another. It's not all. He goes on. He prays that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. Easy to say, hard to explain. What does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? He means to be filled up with his person, with his character. Think of us as an empty glass. The character, the person, the nature of God is water. Paul's saying, I don't want just a little bit of water in the bottom of your glass. I want the glass to be filled to the brim with the character, essence, and nature of God. To be filled up with him. A similar phrase is found in the next chapter in Ephesians 4 as Paul's describing the, the reason for the church, why the church exists. He says in Ephesians 4, that he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. You see here that the purpose of the church is to help fulfill the things he's praying for in that prayer a few verses earlier. But he says this, that we would grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the goal, and this happens as we are filled with all the fullness of God. And this is Paul's prayer. And we ask the question, is this the kind of thing we desire for one another? As you pray for your spouse, kids, parents, Friends, what dominates your prayers? Do you spend time asking God to work in the hearts of those you love? Maybe as you hear this prayer, you think it sounds lofty, too spiritual. It's a great Bible prayer. I just wish my kids would obey. I just wish my spouse would speak a kind word to me every now and then. I just wish my family and friends would acknowledge that God exists. Much less be filled with all the fullness of God. But don't miss that behind all those things, this is what's most important. And what we see as we keep reading is that God is able to do these things. You think, my kid's never going to be motivated by the love of God. Well, consider verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's a verse that's often used out of context. Although it's true that in every way God can do more than we expect. But in the context, he's praying for spiritual strength, for comprehension of the love of Christ, 
They will be filled with all the fullness of God. You think, how could I pray this for that person? They will never get there. They are too far gone. They're too complacent. They've heard it all before, and their heart remains cold. Maybe you think this for yourself. I will never again feel the joy I felt when I first came to faith. I'll never again sense the love that I felt then. Can I encourage you? He's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Paul's going to God on behalf of his brothers and sisters and asking him to strengthen them with his power, and he believes that he can. He's asking God to help him comprehend the magnitude of his love, to fill them with all his fullness, and he believes that he can and that he can do more. Remember the Ephesians, like most of us, no doubt, were people who struggled with their faith. They had sins they were struggling to overcome. They were prone to anger, lust, impatient, and discontent. There were Ephesians who were parents of disobedient children. There were those in the Ephesian church who had difficult marriages. Those in the Ephesian church who lacked provision, struggled physically. These are the people for whom Paul prayed. And he prayed not primarily for their outer circumstances, but for their hearts. And he believed that because of who God is, that God was able to accomplish these things in them. Could we be a church that's overwhelmed with Jesus? And it changes everything. We believe that he's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Look at that verse one more time. He's able. He's able to do far more abundantly. He's able to do far more abundantly than we ask. He's able to do far more abundantly than we even think. God's ability is limitless and unfathomable. And I'll ask you the question, church. Do you believe that he is able? Do you believe that he's able to change hearts? Do you believe he's able to give spiritual strength? Do you believe he's able? And if you're thinking, yes, I believe that, then my next question would be, are you praying towards that end? God's ability to do more than we ask includes overcoming the things in your heart that you struggle with. Your sin that you've struggled with for years is no match for the ability of God. Your kids who seem out of control are not beyond his ability. He can change them into people who love and live for him. Your marriage that seems to be falling apart is not beyond his ability. He can restore your friend or family member who has been running hard and fast away from God for years is not beyond his ability. He can save anyone. To him who is able, able to do far more abundantly, able to do far more abundantly than we ask, able to do far more abundantly than we even think. Because he is the one from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. He's the sovereign one. He doesn't operate based on our limited scales. He has limited riches and glory. 
but we don't ask. We've already decided that change is too hard, that the opportunity for change has passed. Paul doesn't see these limitations. As he prays, he aims for the heart. He asks God to transform them, to strengthen the inner man, and to fill them with all the fullness of God. How can he do these things? How can he accomplish these things? According to his power that's at work within us. It's the same word we saw in verse 16. Paul believes that through the power of God, any heart can change. Through the power of God, these things can be accomplished. He's confident. And the question is, how confident are we? Do we believe that God can change us? He can change others. And do we ask for it? What's evident in the prayer goes back to the two things I said at the beginning. Paul loves his brothers and sisters and he wants good for them. And he believes that God is able to do that good in them. And so he prays toward this end and this should be our prayer for the year to come. May we love one another enough to pray these kinds of prayers and may we believe God enough that he can do these things. For our glory? No. Verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Paul doesn't leave room for anyone else to get the praise. He is the one who can do more than we ask or think. He is the one with the power that works within us. He is the one who should receive the glory. There's only one source for life change and only one recipient of the glory. It's God himself. So much that we can learn from this prayer. We recognize that our limitations are not God's limitations. That we serve a God who can change any heart. That we serve a God who can do things that we cannot even comprehend. And this is the way we should pray for the year to come. God, if this year brings abundance or loss, health or sickness, employment or unemployment, joy or grief, would you strengthen us in the inner man? Would you fill us with all the fullness of God? Would you give us a greater comprehension of the love of God? It's breadth and height and length. As you pray for others, may we not pray only for those things outward, but pray for the heart. And maybe this year would be a year where we find more joy and more contentment in Christ. Sweeter relationships, more contentment in our parenting, more satisfaction in our work. When we realize that all these things are gifts from God because our hearts are rooted and grounded in his love and everything else comes out of that. I think this is a good prayer for us. As we close, I will simply pray for us the prayer that Paul has prayed and that we've considered. Would you join me? Pray. For this reason, we bow before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and be filled with all the fullness of God. To you, the one who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 